This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. Hello there and welcome to the Bite Size Business Breakfast, the very best bits of today's show. It is a Thursday, the 9th of February, coming up, looking at some of the big stories of the day, starting with profits at UAE companies continuing to increase. Dewa, the latest cab off the rank with a good set of numbers. We're also going to hear a little bit later on from the chief financial officer of one of the banks in the UAE doing well. He is Darren Clark. He's the CFO of Commercial Bank of Dubai. What else have we got for you? Fascinating interview with His Excellency Omar Al-Sawadi from the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology. He's been talking to Tom about some of the big advances the UAE is making in terms of growing industry, manufacturing, these kind of heavy industries. And finally, real estate with Clementine Monroe. She's from Espas Real Estate talking about that blockbuster 400 million dirham apartment in Dubai and what it means for the rest of the market. All that to come. First up, though, let's jump straight into those big business stories. Good numbers coming out of the Commercial Bank of Dubai. That is correct, yeah. 26% increase in full-year profit for Commercial Bank of Dubai. By no means the only UAE company that has been reporting strong earnings for not just the full year of 2022, but the fourth quarter of 2022. We've been speaking to Darren Clark, Chief Financial Officer of Commercial Bank of Dubai, and we asked him very simply, the economy didn't grow by 20%. 6% last year. It did well, but it wasn't 26%. So how did you hit that number? Well, all banks and many listed companies, as you've said, have performed very strongly in 2022. And one of the big factors is banks generally perform well in rising and higher interest rate environments. So we have a large equity position, um, we have capital at the bank, and as rates increase, and obviously we deploy that capital, and we make more money off the back of that capital. And so higher interest rates have really helped that result. Rising interest rates. Let's talk more about those 25 basis point increase last week from the Federal Reserve with Jay Powell of the Fed saying more are to come. How does that decision impact you? The higher interest rates help the bank. uh, And it also points in a way, let's look through that. The economy is strong. The economy obviously in the US is doing very well. The US non-farm payroll results were particularly strong. We saw those above 500,000 where the market was expecting, I think, circa 185,000. So the underlying um, business activity in the US is very strong and that's supporting higher interest rates. Uh, And obviously there's inflation with that. And I think Dubai, the UAE is no different. We can feel that business activity. You, You have a number of presenters on this show and they talk about the confidence Um, the business environment and the business activity that is performing particularly strong here locally. Uh, And that's really underpinning growth. We do see strong business activity. Darren Clark is the Chief Financial Officer of Commercial Bank of Dubai. Full interview with him at 20 past nine this morning. Let's go regional now if we can. Uh, And some troubling times over in Egypt at the moment. We have seen uh, Moody's having their say with regards to the Egyptian economy. Uh, This has been uh, something of a developing story uh, throughout the last couple of years. Certainly within the last year, we've seen some significant changes, no more so than the 15% devalue on the Egyptian pound to the dollar as well, which has seen the currency go into free fall. Uh, What's Moody's latest rating on this one, Dini? So what Moody's has done is downgraded its credit rating on Egypt within the past 24 hours or so. 
It's downgraded it to B3, uh, changed its outlook to stable. They say the downgrade reflects Egypt's reduced external buffers and shock absorption capacity. While, says Moody's, the Egyptian economy undergoes a structural change towards, hopefully, a more export and private sector-led growth model. Let's get the thoughts of Dan Richards, Senior Economist, Emirates MBD. The recent downgrade of Egypt by ratings agency Moody's is indicative of the ongoing pressures of the economy there, which has really been coming under sustained pressure since the pandemic, but especially since the outbreak of war in Eastern Europe last year. That ramp up in commodity prices we saw last year following that uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine really drove up Egypt's import costs, especially when you look at the wheat market. Well, the exit of international investors in local debt from the country left Egypt with a financing gap that has really proved pretty hard to bridge. Now, a new IMF deal agreed late last year does offer hope that the Egyptian economy can get back on its feet soon, but it will prove pretty bitter medicine to start with. The move substantially lower by the Egyptian pounds as a new durably flexible exchange rate regime, uh, in the words of a new programme, is adopted as part of our IMF package, is contributing already to pretty high inflation, which will be difficult for businesses and consumers, but should help encourage a return in investors eventually. So what role does the UAE have to play in this? We've seen significant investments by UAE companies into Egypt and financial aid from the UAE government as well. Saudi Arabia similarly is involved in Egypt. Here's Dan. GCC economies have been pretty key in helping to stabilise the situation in Egypt uh, through depositing funds at the central bank and also rolling over existing deposits there and thereby helping to shore up the country's reserves. Now, the Gulf states have also been pledging fixed investment, and this will be even more important, I think, in the long term. Egypt needs to attract more fixed, sticky investment into its economy, helping to build up a wider array of sectors and to build up its FX reserves. And we expect that GCC states will be among those pretty interested in investing in the scheduled IPOs in Egypt as the country moves ahead with privatisation plans of various state assets. Uh, Mr Richards there, Daniel Richards, Senior Economist, Emirates NBD. Uh, Ms Swan waiting for us at the moment. Nadia's with us here in studio to bring us up to date with all the latest on the news headlines. Morning again to you. Uh, Good morning, Tom. Uh, Let's get another update if we can uh, on developments over in Turkey in Syria. That's right. So obviously we're keeping an eye on the numbers there and what's happening. Uh, the death toll there still stands at just over 12,000 according to the latest estimates and experts saying that could pass over 20,000. The UAE is being very helpful in sending seven flights that are planned, two of which have already left to Turkey and Syria with emergency aid and supplies there. They've also pledged $100 million uh, to 50 to each country. Um, but of course at the moment those rescue efforts are being hampered by sub-zero temperatures and uh, cold weather and snow as well. So the chance of finding survivors is minimal. However, we have heard overnight that um, three Emiratis are in Turkey who were injured in that earthquake. Well, they've been flown home. It was a medical evacuation that was carried out as part of the UAE's Gallant Night 2 operation and that was launched to help victims of those earthquakes. They've been repatriated now by the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Corporation with the Ministry of Defence. Fortunately as well, they've only sustained moderate injuries. 
countries. We've also heard some other good news um, is that an Emirati search and rescue team who are working on the ground in Turkey, they've rescued a family of four, a Syrian family of four, a mother, a son and two daughters. So um, from the rubble of their home, it took the team five hours and it happened in the area of Kahraman Maras. Now, they were given immediate medical aid by the Emirati team who are on the ground there and then they were sent off to hospital for further medical treatment. Now, as I said before, those planes are still scheduled five more planes to carry more medical aid from the UAE to the victims of the earthquake in Syria and Turkey. Um, A quick one now, a lot of people obviously asking questions about how they can donate over here and how they can help in any way whatsoever. So in the Emirates, you've got the UAE humanitarian and charitable organisations that are collecting donations. They're doing that this weekend. That campaign is called Bridges of Good. It's going to help assemble all the packages and sort everything out. And the Emirates its Red Crescent Authority are working with, again, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs and International Corporation and the Ministry of Community Development. They're going to start packaging up all the initial aid and collections on the 11th of February. That's Saturday. They've got two venues, Tom Abu Dhabi National Exhibition Centre, ADNEC, and the Dubai Exhibition Centre down at Expo City. Now, if you'd like to contribute and make a donation of any in any shape or form, you can do that by regist- registering on their website, and that is volunteers.ae. Uh, Dewa leading the field in the use of what? Yes, in fact, you might say they're one of the government agencies that you could call an early adopter because Dubai Electricity and Water, they're becoming not just the first UAE entity to to um, use chat GPT, but they're the first utility provider globally to use that artificial intelligence. So the government entities say they're working to enhance their services with this new technology, and they're doing it in coordination with Microsoft after Said Mohammed Altair, the MD and CEO of Diva, met with Naim Yazbek, the general manager of Microsoft UAE. So they're hoping to provide this technology through a subsidiary of Diva called Digital Diva. And they say they're aiming to provide these services supported by this technology to both customers and employees. And of course, that follows a meeting of the UAE cabinet earlier this week. And they've called for study on the potential benefits of new AI technologies, such as chat GPT in education, health, media and other sectors. And very quickly, 30 seconds, UAE talk for women ongoing this week UA tour for men next week yes that's right so the tour for the women 9th to the 12th of February four stages traffic stop being stopped in various roads from midday today until 4.30 this afternoon it's starting at the QE2 at Port Rashid ending at Dubai Harbour it'll affect parts of Deira International City El Khail Road Sheikh Mohammed bin Zayed Road Nada Sheba Hesse Street and a few others but there are precise details of all of those road closures on the ARN News Centre app and it's got the timings on there as well so please do head to the app and check that if you think you might be affected in any way. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast, exclusively on DubaiEye1038.com. The Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology issuing its annual achievements report uh, this week, outlining its key outcomes and milestones from 2022, also looking ahead to 2023. Let's deal with what we know so far. 2022, production licences up, in-country value programme numbers up, overall numbers looking very good indeed. Let's get reaction to this from none other than the Undersecretary, Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, His Excellency Omar Suwena Al-Sawedi, kind enough to join us live on Microsoft Teams. Your Excellency, thank you for joining us. 
Thank you. Good morning. Um, I just mentioned there those record numbers again for Moyat uh, in the last calendar year. Production licenses up, uh, other numbers up as well. Uh, just to walk us through the main achievements that give you and your team the most pride. Yes, of course, uh, 2022 was a very positive year. We continued to see growth uh, coming in in industry in line with the growth in the economy. Uh, the key numbers uh, that you mentioned, the growth in licensing, the growth in the manufacturing value add, uh, that's expected to, to come in at 180 billion dirhams. The uh, exports, industrial exports, grow to 174 billion. Uh, a significant uh, portion of our strategy is the in-country value program, which jumped from uh, 41 billion in 2021 to uh, about 53 billion in 2022. Uh, the financing for the uh, sector also grew, uh, almost doubled to 3.14 billion dirhams. ECI, Emirates Etihad uh, Credit Insurers, also uh, had another 1.3 billion in financing solutions for exports. Uh, really, a lot of positive numbers uh, that goes with our strategy. Uh, Make it in the Emirates was one of our uh, key events uh, last year, where we put together over 300 billion, 300 uh, products. Uh, to be uh, produced locally worth over 110 billion dirhams, providing a lot of opportunities for our companies in UAE. Yeah, all those numbers, as you mentioned there, numbers to be proud of, but also evidence of the extraordinary industrial sector progress we're seeing here across the UAE. We know that part of the vision and the ambition is to very much compete on the global stage. Is this yet more evidence that the UAE industrially already competing on the global stage? Definitely. Uh, you know, we, we rank, we rank uh, top uh, in the region in terms of industrial competitiveness at 31. Uh, we expect that uh, to, to improve uh, shortly with the results that will be coming soon. Uh, in terms of uh, why, uh, you know, we're in that position, we have quite an enabling ecosystem. We have a lot of legislation that helps uh, grow uh, the, the industry. We provide opportunities. Here at the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, we came up with, like I said, not only the 300 products, we actually uh, put together 47 opportunities with pre-feasibility studies, uh, bringing opportunities to the sector, matching and uh, uh, bringing together synergies uh, between demand and supply. And uh, we're really seeing a lot of positive impact of that. Uh, we've had uh, almost uh, 19 uh, letters of intent uh, worth uh, the range of 3 billion dirhams and maybe another 20 billion in the pipeline. All of this providing opportunities. We're working on uh, uh, the ease of doing business, the cost of doing business. In the ministry, we've uh, reduced 14 uh, services, the cost of 14 services. So you see a lot of um, enablement, a lot of opportunities, and all of that, of course, uh, linked with the, uh, uh, the world-class uh, infrastructure that we have in UAE really it goes to promote industry and provide opportunities for local industries and also for FDIs. Yeah, no shortage of uh, partnerships and collaborations with uh, international, uh, regional and local bodies as well. No shortage of support seemingly as well, Your Excellency, for the development and the ambition of the industrial sector here. You've already mentioned there the Make It in the Emirates programme, the technology transformation programme that has been driven towards the overall Operation 300 billion. How important is that federal support you're getting here for a common goal? 
Yes, we, we do work. I mean, we work as one team. All of the uh, federal entities, the local entities, uh, all of the support system really works together towards one goal. Uh, the uh, strategy that we came out with almost two years ago for industry and advanced technology, you see uh, the private sector, you see the local uh, federal entities, uh, all of the government authorities coming together to look at ways of promoting industry, like I said, uh, ease of doing business, uh, combined cost of doing business, and we come together uh, you know, to, to bring in solutions for the industry. And of course, we bring in the, the sector itself. We have uh, a number of uh, initiatives that look at how we can take um, uh, suggestions and recommendations from the private sector to improve business, to reduce cost of doing business. We also you know, look at uh, opportunities abroad. We work at the Ministry of Economy on CEPAS, on providing more trade and uh, opportunities and markets to our uh, companies and our industries. So you see, you really see that uh, ecosystem working together, the entire sector, whether it's government or private sector, coming together to make UAE you know, the most competitive, the most advanced uh, industrial uh, sector in the region. Yeah, it's certainly been an industry and a sector that is transforming in front of our own eyes, uh, thanks to the efforts, but also thanks to the technology, the innovation, the investment into the sector as a whole. Given the achievements and the milestones achieved in 2022, what are the, the main targets, the main goals, the ambitions for 23? Well, our key, our key targets, of course, uh, in the long run, we're trying, you know, it's in the name of the strategy, 300 billion. We're trying to get to 300 billion in manufacturing value add by 2031. And I think we're well on our way uh, to get there. A lot of programs go into that. Of course, the, the push for advanced technology is one of the, the key enablers. And we want to see uh, with the roadmaps that we put for the over 270 companies that we've assessed, uh, we put a roadmap for uh, advanced technology for 4IR uh, application adoption. Uh, we put together more financing solutions for these opportunities. Uh, we want to promote uh, more export also uh, for our industry. Um, all of that really, uh, one key component is the country value program. We've seen the tremendous growth, over 25% growth in one year, and we see a lot of potential. And, and that provides a lot of opportunities for, uh, for our companies. So. Our uh, focus this year is really on operationalizing and uh, enabling uh, these uh, ideas, these opportunities into uh, something that we can see on the ground, uh, factories opening up, more factories, more production, an expanded uh, value chain and maybe an, an expanded uh, supply chain within UAE. Well, given the achievements of 2022, we don't deny that uh, those will be achieved again in 2023. Your Excellency, we thank you so much indeed for your time this morning. That was His Excellency Omar Sawena al-Sawedi, who is the Undersecretary of the Ministry of Industry and Advanced Technology, Moet, uh, issuing some impressive numbers in the course of the last few days, really reiterating uh, the progress and the growth and the development of the industrial sector here in the UAE in light of a whole host and raft of an initiatives, none more so than the Make It in the Emirates. This is the Business Breakfast. Catch up on the business headlines with the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Yeah, talking uh, stock markets this morning, listed companies reporting quarterly and indeed full year earnings. Delighted to be joined in the studio by the Chief Financial Officer of one major listed company here in Dubai to give us some insights. He is the CFO of Commercial Bank of Dubai, Darren Clark. Darren, good morning. Thanks very much indeed for being with us. 
Good morning, Richard, and thank you for having me. It's been a good earnings season generally for UAE mm. companies, that's fair to say. And yourselves are no exception. Record net profit of almost, but not quite, 2 billion dirhams for the year ended December 31st, 2022. That is a 26% increase year on year. In simple terms, mm. the economy didn't grow 26% last year. So how did you grow your profit by 26%? That's right. Uh, it's a good performance. We're very happy with the full year result. As you said, 1.825 billion up 26% on the prior year on 2021. So how did, how did that happen? Well, all banks and many listed companies, as you said, have performed very strongly in 2022. And one of the big factors is banks generally perform well in rising and higher interest rate environments. So we have a large equity position um, we have capital at the bank and as rates increase and obviously we deploy that capital and we make more money off the back of that capital. And so higher interest rates have really helped that result. Well, let's talk about those higher interest rates. We heard from Jay Powell of the Federal Reserve twice over the past week, once when they raised interest rates last week by 25 basis points. Mm -hmm. As the chief financial officer of a bank, how do you read this one? How does that impact you? Yeah, obviously, as, as we mentioned, the, the higher interest rates help the bank. Uh, and it also points, in a way, let, let's look through that. The economy is strong. The economy, obviously, in the US is doing very well. The US non-farm payroll results were particularly strong. We saw those above 500,000 where the market was expecting, I think, circa 185,000. So the underlying um, business activity in the US is very strong, and that's supporting higher interest rates. And obviously, there's inflation with that. And I think Dubai, the UAE, is no different. We can feel that business activity. You you have a number of presenters on this show, and they talk about the confidence, um, the business environment, and the business activity that is performing particularly strong here locally. Uh, and that's really under, underpinning growth. We do see strong business activity. What's the risk that raising interest rates could contribute to demand destruction here in the UAE, that when people come to you either to buy a car or a, a house, if it's a personal loan, mm. or to build a new steel plant in Omar Quain, and they think, oh, you know what, 4 or 5% is the base rate, and obviously there's a margin on top of that. To what extent is that stopping investment? Yeah, I think it's something certainly to watch. Rates are higher. Um, you would anticipate that that changes business cases a little bit and people a little bit more circumspect about the cost of financing. At the same time, I think when we look at those rates, we consider them in the context of where they were, you know, around the pandemic, which were at record lows. So whilst rates have risen, they're much higher, they're coming off a very low base. And when we look through that and we look at current business activity, we are seeing still strong growth. We're seeing strong growth in credit cards. We're seeing strong growth in debit cards. We're seeing consumer activity. Obviously, everyone's aware of the real estate market. Uh, the real estate uh, performance has been particularly strong. And we see that flow through into mortgages as well. What, what about the cycle here in the UAE? You have spent a lot of time working in Europe, in Australia as well. You've mm -hmm. been here for five years or so. That's so you've, yeah, you, you've seen the good times in Dubai, but every economy is cyclical. How do you as a bank approach the issue of when you're lending money, knowing that this is a boom time, but boom times never last? 
whichever economy you're in, how do you approach that? Yeah, and we have to look not only at the current environment, but in the 12 months ahead, in the two years ahead, in the five years ahead. And so we undertake rigorous review, assessment, stress tests, modelling of what that looks like. And so one of the important features when we look at our 2022 results and something that we did do, and a lot of banks have done, is we've increased our provision coverage. So our provision coverage for non-performing loans increased from uh, 60%, 62% to 80%. And so we've looked at that and we've said, we want to make sure that we're well covered for non-performing loans and really have much stronger asset quality as, as we move forward. And so that's why there's some quality with the results that we've reported. Not only have we delivered high net profit and return on equity at 17%, but we've really strengthened the balance sheet, asset quality and our capital ratios. So we really prepare for you know the inevitabilities of of years ahead. Uh, what about fees? Ian has written in, he's a Business Breakfast listener, banks with Commercial Bank of Dubai, and says various accounts for various businesses, mm. and there are fees for all of them. How do you balance the fact that Ian and other customers want lower fees, but of course, you've got an obligation to you know, your shareholders to, to balance the books, and you've got to charge for what you do. How do you balance that? Yeah, I think the customer's interests are you know, at the heart of everything that we do. And so... We, we want to listen to the customers um, to the extent that uh, fees are, are not um, desirable by customers. Clearly, we need to work on that. It's really about the digital process, I guess. If we can take the cost of servicing um, customers down, then we can clearly reduce and optimise fees for customers in the end. So we really work on those digital journeys to make the process more seamless for the customer with fewer touch points. And if we can do that, obviously, banking becomes more efficient and fees ultimately go down. And, and it's a highly competitive market here, isn't it? Ian, like others, you know, could, could walk down the road and they can go to your bank and international banks and, and local banks. Are we expecting more consolidation? Commercial Bank of Dubai, not the the biggest bank here. You know, we've had these mega mergers of FAB. Uh, we've had mega mergers with Emirates NBD created as well. What's your thinking on that? Yeah, and, it, and you touched on London and, and other markets previously. I think if we look at London, you know, there's many banks there, and I think it's served the market very well. And the number of banks that are here, it, it's really good for the consumer because I think it creates that competition. It certainly keeps us on its, our toes, and it makes sure that we deliver the best possible product we can for customers. So I think their competition's healthy. And where there's bigger infrastructure projects and, and commercial projects, then banks can partner together to support those projects. Um, on, on the M&A activity, you know, Commercial Bank of Dubai is here, has been here for over 50 years. And what really thrills us is our ability to be part of society and support and service our customers. And we just think we're going to continue to do that for the next 50 years. And Darren, Great talk. I'm going to let you go because I know your beloved Australia cricket team. The match starts in 30 minutes and 27 seconds time. Um, you, you're suited and booted. You're probably not going home to watch the cricket. You're going to work now, aren't you? I'm not, but I'm going to track it on the internet um, <laughs> and, and it's going to be a great series. So really looking forward to it. We're all looking forward to that one very much indeed. Appreciate your time this morning. Darren Clark, Chief Financial Officer, Commercial Bank of Dubai. Profit up 26% in 2022. A strong earnings season, not just for them, but for UAE companies in general. Just the highlights. This is the Bite Size Business Breakfast. Where we're talking apartments. Clementine Monroe is associated director 
with Espas, Head of Apartment Sales at the organisation. Clementine, thanks for staying with us. We're getting so many questions about this 400 million dirham apartment. <laughs> First of all, 30 seconds, your quick reaction. You're Head of Apartment Sales for a big real estate broker. Even you must have had an intake of breath at more than 400 million dirhams for a flat. I mean, I did. And particularly as it was sold kind of relatively off market. We didn't have a huge glimpse into what the apartment was going to look like. They didn't do a lot of marketing around it. So, I mean, it was. It, it was pretty exciting to see, though. And, and full disclosure, you weren't involved in it, were you? You were an observer on this one. I wasn't. Yes, exactly. Maybe next you time. You didn't buy it. Blink once. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of the things we're talking about is the role of social media in selling real estate globally, but also here in Dubai. And there are pros to it, but there are also cons to it. We'll get onto your thoughts on that. And you've got some interesting observations. First of all, let's have a listen to one of the social media videos doing the rounds promoting a residential real estate property. Imagine waking up every morning to the sensational view from your private beach villa. Well, now you can. I'll show you one of the best property Palm Jumeirah has seen. Let's check it out. And there's a lot of these videos doing the rounds on social media and they kind of, they're well shot and they look like a, but they almost look like a, a reality TV show. It's almost like a selling sunset thing. Fine. And I get it. So talk me through the pros of these videos as someone in the industry, but also some of the possible pitfalls, which are serious. So I think one of the pros, and I spoke to Ailey Smiley this morning, who's the managing director of Socialize We Are Social, which is the largest social uh, media agency here in the UAE. And she was saying that people in the UAE spend an average of two hours, 50 minutes a day on their phone. And Instagram engagement in the UAE is 73% of our population engages in Instagram versus just 50% in the UK. So I think what that shows is naturally we need to be where our audience is. And the stats say our audience is online. So pros for us, and as John said, we've been online since about 2016, initially quite Facebook heavy, and now a lot more Instagram and TikTok heavy, is the reality is, you know, the more eyes on our business, the more leads we generate, the more leads we generate, the more deals we close, the better things are for business. But but how personal can you go? Yourself as the head of a business unit, John as the head of the organisation, how far down the whole selling sunset route can you go? Which, just if you haven't seen it, is a, is a reality TV program where real estate brokers of very high-end properties are, are essentially promoting their properties. How far down that route can you go without becoming a little bit of a cliche and a little bit cheesy? I mean, 100% nail on the head there. It's diversification to our marketing strategy. It's something we do. But the reality, the metrics of why we're a hugely successful business, you know, is integrity, market leading advice, backed up by data and research, you know, able brokers who are kind of on time, you know, immaculate, know the market. That's really our bread and butter. That's who we are. And I think being online, it can be a bit clickbaity. You know, the reality is kind of our, our sales figures that the way that we sell homes it, it is we're not really an instagram agency and one of the dangers you say not necessarily in the dubai market but in other markets is that if you do this not only buyers can be watching this but also potential burglars as well and there have been robberies and burglaries inspired by these kind of videos around the world for sure i mean i've spent a lot of my um 
career, you know, covering the London market in particular. And I think, sadly, what happened there was quite a high profile case whereby an agent posted a very expensive home uh, online. And, and the reality is, you know, posting a home worth tens of millions also have tens of millions of contents inside that home. Uh, you know, art and you're getting a good look at furniture and doors and windows and access points and security. And the reality is that home got burgled. Uh, and a lot of people who are extremely wealthy value privacy. Um, and so, yes, do you know, you, I don't say that you can't sell a home off Instagram. It's been done. We do it. But the reality is for the ultra high net worth, I don't believe um, that all of them want to be as publicly online. Clementine, we've only got a couple of minutes left with you. Appreciate your time this morning. Questions coming in. Nazar writes in, listening to your colleague John speaking earlier about that lighthouse building in the what I call the Bulgari development, the, the Jamira Bay development. And John was talking about a penthouse lower down the building. Nazar writes in, penthouse lower down the building? Isn't that an oxymoron? Do you know what? Well done, Nazar. It really bugs me. A penthouse should just be the top floor apartment. But I suppose it was kind of coined, particularly at Lerev out here, you know, a tower of penthouses. I think it's slightly the, the term penthouse, which historically has always meant the top floor. That terminology has been diluted now, I think, to mean an entire floor plate or a half floor plate. And again, it leads to that marketing. I think people like to think they're living in the penthouse, even if it's not really the penthouse. Even if it's the eighth floor. Fine, fair enough. Thanks for your candid honesty there. Uh, someone else writes in, on the other end of the property scale, is Damak Hills 2 a good investment at the moment? Just remind us, what is Damak Hills 2? You're, you're in apartments rather than villas. And, and this is a, a more out-of-town suburban development. It's not a 400 million dirham apartment development but these kind of let's let's talk about the Alcudra corridor if you like mm. more general terms more affordable apartments good value there still absolutely and i think the reality is that most of us in dubai can't afford uh, you know that kind of uh, home and so the Alcudra um corridor offers a fantastic opportunity for families looking to put roots down there's wonderful schooling the access is improving daily the homes still represent good value and developers particularly Demac, have made a huge effort to make the communities brilliant for families with an abundance of facilities so yes best of luck with the search there appreciate your time this morning thanks very much indeed for joining us clementine monroe associate director with espas real estate heading up apartment sales still a busy time for you in february 2023 the slowdown we expected has not come yet so we're going to let you get back to work thank you You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.